How's it going, Grace? Man, it is good to be back. And some of you that have been, that are just new, you're like, I didn't know you were gone. I'm like, I don't even know who you are. And so I get that. Well, if you, if we haven't met yet, uh, my name's Keith. I've been pastor here for 12 years and they sent me away on a little sabbatical for the summer. And I really, really enjoyed it. It went great. But I'm going to tell you though, it was great to go. It's even better to come back. And, I, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this, as you, get, as you turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, Pastor Matt told you last week, if you were here, that, uh, that uh, he had saved some of the hard ones for me. And now, listen, I appreciate him. He's exactly right. That's exactly what he did. But today we're going to have some fun diving in, but I've got to say a couple things. First of all, uh, we've been really pushing the Summer Sunday event that's happening, uh, that was supposed to happen tonight. We are canceling that. Um, <laughs> now, here's the deal. I mean, they we're going to have water games. We're going to have water games if you show up here tonight, but... Um, Anyway, just so you know, that's not going to be happening this evening, so just make note of that. And then I just real quick want to just give a big shout out to the incredible team that, man, made things happen when it came to our, our softball league, our, 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 our teams, the tournament yesterday. We had, I think we had uh, seven different teams. We had our own league, played all summer, and yesterday was an incredible day. About 200 people, something like that, showed up for the tournament, and um, I uh, you know, uh, congratulations to Ryan Ross's team. And uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, we know how excited you guys are. Um, I'm not going to tell you who, who lost the other game, but um, just pray for Dallas McKellops. He's really going to need the Lord's help uh, over the next little bit. But, um, but no, we, it was just a great time. And so, man, thank you to Dallas and, and Ryan and Billy and, and Tiffany, Bree, whoever was all part of that. But we had a great time. Now, um, Man, I, I, want, I want to talk about something tough because yesterday I, I was privileged to be part of an awesome, awesome vow renewal for a great couple, Ernie and Janine uh, Lowry, renewing their vows after 50 years of marriage. And it was a beautiful, beautiful event. And, and I, I've thought a lot about that since knowing what I was going to be talking about from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You know, when you stand up there and you uh, make your vows, you know, do the whole for better, for worse, and, and sickness and in health, you know, to death do us part, like literally, you're, like there's a million different emotions that are going through your head. You're excited for a variety of reasons. And um, the reality is, though, you don't even know what for better or for worse looks like. Like, I mean, you're making vows, and your main commitments, but you don't really know what you're committing to until, until you're there. And <laughs> marriage isn't easy. Now, Lori's not here, and this is not a shot of my wife. Like, this is not, I'm, not, I'm just saying, like, generally, it's, it's, you get two imperfect people and bring them together. It's just marriage, just really, it, it, it isn't easy. And um, my question is this, what do you do when marriage gets, when, when there, there are difficulties and it can be any number of things that lead to to become one, it actually leads to something like this where one has left and another remains. What do, what do we do 
in that situation. It's weird because the church doesn't, I think we're scared to death to talk about divorce because it's like very touchy and we don't want people to feel shamed or, or, or whatever. But it's almost like that section of scripture we've just kind of taken out and we just like don't go there because it's just like too complex. I don't know, guys, my, my take is this. If, if we don't listen to what God says about this part of life, why, why do we have the right to pick what we're gonna listen to and what we don't listen to? You know what I'm saying? Either it's the word of God or it's not the word of God. I don't get into this whole thing that says only part of the Bible's inspired. It's either inspired, it's not. I mean, who, am I inspired enough to make that claim? You know what I'm saying? Several years ago, uh, actually, it was before I was here as pastor, I get a phone call, it's my brother. And uh, man, I love my brother. We're a couple years apart. And um, he said something like just totally blindsided me. He said, hey, just so you know, man, um, there's been struggles within our marriage, which I didn't know. I didn't know this. Uh, things have happened. And he shared details. And he said, just so, just, I don't want you to be blindsided, but we're going to be divorcing. And um, it was like this weird thing, man. I, like it just, like, when he said, I mean, what do I do now? I don't even know where to go from here. I didn't have, I honestly didn't know what to tell him. I hadn't really spent any time studying what the word of God said. I mean, I knew some like, Proof text, but I hadn't really studied. Um, I was like probably most of us. We just take for granted that the marriage is going to be there till it's not. So you know what? What do we do? So start me on a journey of uh, seeing what God actually says about this. And um, I don't know it's, it's been it's been a good journey, and it's <laughs> what I'm going to share today. It's just. I'm gonna just say right up front, it's gonna be a little uncomfortable at times. And I wanna be careful because two things I don't wanna do. First of all, I don't wanna provide an extra biblical voice for condemnation for those of you that have been divorced, okay? And, and what I mean by that is this. There are, there are, gonna be, there are those here today that you are divorced and, and the divorce, you, you would say that you're not perfect, but if there's an innocent party, you were the innocent party. You had no control over that. But man, it's left some pretty deep scars. I don't want you to feel any condemnation. But I'm also gonna say this. If you were the person who, you, if you're gonna be honest, you know you were the cause, you were at the heart of this. Maybe you're the one that walked out and you sin, you grieve that sin, and God in his faithfulness has, has man, redeemed you and saved you, I want you to hear me. You are not a second class, third class, or fourth class citizen of the kingdom of heaven because you're divorced. You're just, you're either Christian or you're not a Christian. We're all, we all have, we all have junk in the past. And so I, I want to be really careful that Satan does not get one tiny foothold uh, when it comes to shame for those of you that have been through divorce. But here's the thing, like on the other extreme, I wanna be careful because neither do I want to, in my message today, provide extra, extra biblical accommodation for divorce. 
Where, because I think there's sometimes that we've actually got this idea that uh, getting married is kind of like uh, buying a car. Like we, we get a car and after a little while, if we don't like it as well, it doesn't suit our needs or there's a better model, younger model, we trade it in. Honestly, dude, God did not intend that whatsoever. In fact, marriage is a sacred institution. It's not just that, that uh, God is pretty cool with marriage. He literally founded marriage, gave us plans on what it looks like, and he cares about marriage. In fact, so much so that, that in, in Ephesians chapter five, he, he lets us know through the writings of Paul that marriage was given to us, not just so that we can enjoy one another, that's an awesome thing, but it was also given to us as an example of, of Christ's relationship with the church, his commitment to the church. And so marriage matters to God. And so, man, as, as we go through this, I just want to faithfully look at the word of God and see what God is saying today, because what, what happened here, I like being able to kick back. It's nice being able to sit down. It's great. Just sitting around a table talking, man, it's good. Um, what, what took place in this church in Corinth, they, uh, they had some questions. They, they were a very diverse church, kind of like Grace, like new believers, unbelievers were probably there. Uh, th then there were people that you know, were, were Jewish. They had been saved from paganism. They had all kinds of different takes. And they're trying to figure out what it looks like to not just understand how we can be saved, but how to live after we are saved. And so we don't have the letter, but we know that they wrote a letter to Paul with all kinds of questions about what it looks, looks like to live. And so he, he responds, and, and we don't know exactly what was going on, but apparently uh, one of the things that they were, uh, they were asking about was, you know, what am I to do? What am I to do if, if, I've, you know, if I'm married to this, this pagan guy or this pagan lady and, and I get saved? Like, wh where do we go from here? And so what Paul does is, is, is he writes to that situation to new believers who are, who are getting some bad advice because some people in the church are saying, well, just stop having sex. And he's like, no, that's not the answer. In fact, we looked at that last time I, I preached. You remember that really awkward uh, message where you're covering your kids' ears? We talked that, we hit that. And, 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 and then, and, and so he said, no, that's, that's not the solution. But then he's also saying the solution is not just to go in and break everything up. He's like, no, that's, that's not the thing either. And so he talks to people in that situation, but it's interesting, he actually begins not by talking to the unbeliever married to the believer, he talks to the believers that are married to one another. And if we pick up our reading here in, in chapter seven, verse 10, to the married, he said, I give this charge. And, and then in parentheses, he says, not I, but the Lord. And what he's gonna do here is he's, he's actually gonna go back to, and, and he's, He's building what he's gonna say on what, what Jesus said. If you want more, uh, you know, if you wanna dig into this, just write in your sermon notes somewhere, Matthew 19. Uh, you'll see what, what took place there. And I'll, I'll hit that in just a little bit. But, um, but he, he's wanted to make sure that we understand this is what the Lord said. He said, the wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. Okay, so here's, here's what I want us to do. I, I mean, we're gonna look at this. I wanna hit pause here, and we're, we're gonna get to the other verses here in just a second. But, but what, I, what I wanna do, he, in these first two verses, he goes beyond 
apparently the question that they're asking. And he says, first of all, just if you're married and he's gonna make it clear, he's talking, he's talking to Christians here. He, he wants us to understand a few things. The first thing, uh, the, the big thing that, that we're gonna see overall is something I think is really important. You can write down my big point because this is gonna be the theme that's gonna come out of this. God is faithful and he transforms his people to be faithful too. God is faithful and he transforms his people to be faithful too. Now, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna break this down a little bit because again, I'm gonna come back. He, he said, you know, this is not I speaking, but the Lord. So, so what did Jesus say about this? Well, in Matthew 19, there's this whole deal where this conservative group of, of, of Jews came to him, the Pharisees, and they're, they're trying to trap him because there was a lot of disagreement, even in Jewish circles, about divorce. There was a, a very conservative that's like, man, there's really no grounds for divorce. And then you had this other extreme where uh, a really well-known rabbi by the name of Hillel, he, believed, uh, he and his disciples propagated this idea that like, if your wife burns supper, you can divorce her. That puts some pressure on cooking, you know what I'm saying? Like, we kind of raised the bar a little bit. And you know, it's very interesting that it was always the guys that had all the rights, you know, to, to divorce. The women didn't have a lot of rights here, but, but, but so we got this extreme. There was another, there was another uh, position among some, uh, some Jews that even if uh, a, a guy saw uh, a, a, a girl who was uh, better looking than his wife, that that was good enough reason because it was God that had given that impulse and all that, he just jacked up. So, so what happens is the Pharisees are trying to trap Jesus and, and trying to you know, stir up a little dissension, make him uh, take a position on this. And, and they, 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 try, they try to do this. But when they put this in, in front of Jesus, Jesus neatly sidesteps a trap. He goes back to what God gave us the plan for marriage, that, that we leave, cleave, and really what that means is, you know, we, we, you know, we, we come together, uh, we, we leave the house, come together, and then we, we become one. But then he added this, this, and this is what Paul is referencing. He said, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so Paul's coming back to this, and, and, and what, he's, what he's saying is for two believers, I wanna be very clear there, he's talking to believers, for two believers Divorce should not be on the table. This is where the tension hits, and so that's great. You know, we'll just feel this. But, but here's the deal. The reason why he lays this down is because it doesn't reflect the character of God. It doesn't reflect the desire of God. Marriage is to be permanent. That's how God designed it. Permanence reflects faithfulness. We're called to faithfulness. And so that's why he's saying for two believers, divorce shouldn't be an option. Now listen, I'm, I'm sharing this and you're like, uh, you don't know my situation. Hold on. Paul actually went on to say some things because he recognized that there's such a thing as sin. And that even between Christians, there are people that could separate or divorce for wrong reasons. And so what, is, what, is, what, is he, what does he say there? He, he just says, okay, you should not, but if you do, 
remain unmarried or, or else be reconciled. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Now, I want to pause here just for a second because I'm going to make this, this, this quote and, uh, and I'll let us sit there and you can email me if you don't disagree. I haven't, I've gone two months without emails arguing with me, so I'm ready for this. It's going to be fun. But no, I, I, I think you'll get this. Theoretically, theoretically, the most successful marriages should be marriages between two Christians. Theoretically. Now, here's the thing. What I, what, what I think we should grasp, though, is this. Christian marriages are not perfect marriages. There is no such thing as a perfect marriage. You get two unique individuals, you throw them together, and I don't care how long you've dated, how well you've, you've you know, talked on the phone, you know, those three-hour conversations when you're dating, you hang up, no, you hang up, no, you, like, I, I'm just telling you, like, you think you know them, but I'm gonna tell you what, when they leave the laundry on the floor, you're seeing the side of them you haven't seen before. And so, so that's why I say theoretically, we, a believer married to a believer should, should have the most successful marriage, not the perfect marriage. Like Lori and I, dude, I'm gonna tell you what, we don't get along all the time. I'm just telling you right now, like, like and it might be over certain things, like we have different tastes sometimes in music. We have different tastes in, uh, in food. Uh, we have different standards on what it means to show up on time. Like I'm telling you, <laughs> Like my, my standard is like, show up 30 minutes early. That's what it means to be on time. Her, her idea is like, you show up on time at the time you say you're gonna show up. That's on time. I'm like, no, you gotta get there a little bit early. And so like the thing that just was great for us, we got two cars, it was amazing. And so like, that's good. <laughs> but but I, I got an amen there. How do you know? That's good. But no, in all seriousness, like, like I think we have this idea that, that uh, marriage between Christians, you know, it's always perfect. We never make mistakes. We never have uh, fight, intense moments of fellowship. We never have all of these, we all, you know, the, the things that we think, you know, you should not do. No, listen, listen, there, there, are, there are sins even in a Christian marriage. I want to be careful. There's a difference between the, the, you know, a, a, a sin that, 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 that hits you and, and, and a sin in which you pursue. And there's a, there's a big difference. In fact, can I tell you that what, what separates a marriage between two believers from a marriage where it's a believer married to, uh, married to an unbeliever is if there is unrepentant willful sin on the part of one or both of the spouses. Because I, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna say it. You can't pursue sin and pursue Jesus at the same time. It's impossible. In fact, I'm gonna say something's gonna mess with you, but Jesus himself said, there are gonna be people that come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord, man, I did all these things in your name. How in the world can you say you never knew me? Well, it's gonna be because you profess something you didn't possess. And I, I'm gonna read some scripture that should sober you if you have bought into this idea that I can live however the heck I wanna live and I can pursue sin and everything else and still be a follower of Jesus Christ. You just can't do it. In 1 John chapter three, here's what John wrote. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, he's talking about Jesus, you know that he appeared to take away sins and in him there is no sin. He makes this statement, 
No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. In fact, uh, John goes on to say in that same chapter, he that pursues sin, unrepentant, willful sin is of the devil. His father's the devil, It's it's not God. So I just wanna make it really clear up front that there's a difference between a believer and an unbeliever. Believers can sin, but a sin that's gonna be confessed and repented of, they don't live in willful, unrepentant sin. Does it make, does it make sense there? We don't pursue sin. Now, what, what he says to the believers, he's not saying that there's not gonna be struggles. He's not saying that, that, there's, that, there's, gonna be, uh, that there's never gonna be something that causes friction. He, he, Paul is, is, is clear in the, in the fact that, that there might be separation that happens even among believers. But he says this, if you're a Christian, married to a Christian, there are three basic things that he says. First of all, stay faithful. Number two, and this is inferred, repent and forgive. And three, seek reconciliation when possible. Now, here's the deal. Reconciliation takes two. Reconciliation can't happen with just one person. It requires repentance by the one who has sinned. It requires forgiveness by the one who has been sinned against. But he says that if this has happened, instead of just saying, I'm throwing it away, let's just go our separate ways, He's saying, if possible, seek reconciliation. Now, what Jesus did was he made a very clear caveat for divorce when he talked to uh, the Pharisees in, in Matthew 19. And his caveat for divorce was sexual immorality. But I wanna make it very clear because as, as we talk about this, Jesus made allowance for divorce because of sexual immorality but Jesus did not command divorce because of sexual immorality. And so there's not a, any, any judgment for me. I mean, it's right here in, in scripture. I wanna live my life according to the, what the word of God says, not just my, my opinion on this. But I, I would say that there are times that, the, that, uh, that people, even within a marriage, they, they struggle with something. It's not an unrepentant. There, there's something that took place and there has been repentance and, and what, whatever, and, and Listen, I think that there are times that separation happens. So the, we, we, there, there's a space to, to feel this out, but, but it's not commanded. But at the same time, he makes allowance to this. But he said that when, when, when this happens, that even if there's a separation for any number of reasons, that we should seek reconciliation instead of saying, oh, I'm free to jump right into another relationship. I, man, I wanna be really clear, guys. Uh, we... In this day and age, because we are told, pamper yourself, take care of yourself, it's all about self, it's really easy for us to think that I am owed a relationship where everything goes my way, and that's a bunch of baloney, it's just not gonna happen. Marriage is two people who struggle with sin, and there are going to be times there are gonna be times that the rub is going to come. And so while there's this, uh, this, this allowance for sexual immorality, and, and I, I believe, man, when, it, when it's abuse and all that sort of thing, again, we're gonna, that, that moves to the whole case of, of, of a believer married to an unbeliever. We're gonna, we're gonna address that here in just a second. When it comes to two believers, he's just saying, man, 
don't do it. Seek to be reconciled. Now, I, I know that as I say that, there, there are believers here, you're like, but what do you do? We, we're already past that. Thank God for grace, we're gonna come back to that. But we don't sin just so we can experience grace. I've never found a person who was sorry that they obeyed what the word of God had to say. Because even in the best cases of situation, all of us that have experienced divorce in our families, we understand the fact that even in the most perfect situations, there are still scars. Now, he didn't just talk to believers, he uh, married to believers, he talked to believers who were married to unbelievers. Like, what are we doing? And here, here's, here's the case that was going on. And I, I picked this up, not just from this, this, I picked this up from what other uh, Christian, from what other historians have written, extra biblical sources, that there was, this, there was this issue that was happening where pagan husbands especially were getting uptight because their wives were getting saved and then coming home and saying something like, well, hey, uh, Joe, just want you to know, I... I'm saved, and now I'm gonna go find a godly husband. Like, they were like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. Like, it was causing some trouble. In fact, the historian Tertullian recorded uh, an example, and I'm, I'm, you know, this is translated into English. Uh, I, I read an account this week where Tertullian quoted a pagan husband who said, I don't want my wife going out to spend the nights at nocturnal convocations and paschal solemnities, creeping into prisons to kiss martyrs. I'm like, did I get where is this thing coming from? I'm like, I'm, I'm not for that either. Like one of the greatest traditions from the early church that I am so glad we did not carry over is greet one another with a holy kiss. I'm gonna tell you right now, if you come to me in the corridor with your lips puckered, we're get, I'm like, I'm, I'm, run, I'm gonna send you to Pastor Matt. That's what I'm gonna do. And so... But, but no, the, the, this issue was, it, you know, I'm, I'm getting saved. And, and so, man, because I'm saved, you know, hey, I, I want to have a Christian home. And so we're going to get a divorce. And this was an issue. Husbands were divorcing wives and wives were divorcing husbands based on the fact that, that they came to Christ. And that is totally against what God wanted. And that's why Paul writes this, to the rest say I, I, not the Lord. And by the way, that doesn't mean that he's saying, hey, this is just my personal opinion. He's still writing on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but he wants to make sure that he's clear that he's moving past the context that Jesus was speaking to in Matthew 19, where it was people of one faith, the Jews who had one God, they had all that. And now he's talking to this mixed bag of believers there in, in Corinth. He says, now to the rest, I say that if any brother has a wife who's an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who's an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So I'm, let's just, based on what he says right here, let's just start with this. If you are a Christian married to an unbeliever, I'm, I'm, this is what Paul's writing here. Number one, don't pursue divorce on spiritual grounds. Don't pursue divorce on spiritual grounds. Don't, don't pursue it because like, well, you know, they're just gonna bring me down. This is gonna be terrible. And so I just need to, I gotta find somebody godly. No, that, that's off the table. Just because you gotta say, that's not what God is calling you to do to break up your home. The vows still matter whether you made those vows understanding God's plan for marriage or not. He's still asking you to fulfill those vows. Now he's anticipating the question that, that people are gonna follow up with like, well, what if this defiles me? What if they bring me down because... I'm not the same person I used to be. 
In our context, it's, I'm not gonna live the way I used to live. I'm not gonna go the places we used to go. I'm not gonna do what we used to do. Watch what we used to watch. And all of a sudden, I feel like I'm singing the Adams Family song that uh, MC Hammer did. Anyway, uh, what, what he's saying here is this. He's saying that that is not an excuse to walk away. And, 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 and so Paul knows that this is gonna be a response that comes up and he gives us this unbelievable advice in verse 14. He says, the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. In fact, what he's saying is not only are you not contaminated, but the very opposite is happening. Your spouse is sanctified by you. The unbeliever of the unbelieving home is made a holy home because you're there. And I've heard people tell testimonies of, of man, what God has done in their life. And, and they've even said, you know, you know, I haven't had the privilege of, of being in a, in a Christian home. And I think we need to rethink how we say that based on what God says here. Because you know how many Christians it, it takes to make a Christian home? One. One. He takes away any excuse that we might feel like, oh, it's so hard because I'm a, I'm a believer married to an unbeliever. Well, suck it up, buttercup. I'm like, yeah, this is, no. <laughs> no, li listen, he, he's not demeaning or diminishing or acting like this is not gonna, you know, it's not gonna be hard. It will be. It's not that there's no sympathy or, or anything like that, but what he's wanting us to do is to, is to do this. Consider the influence that you have. Consider your influence as a spouse. Because it's not just that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, it's that the Holy Spirit is working through you. And, it, and when, he, when he says that the unbelieving wife or the unbelieving husband is made holy, he does not mean that they are saved or converted simply because they're married to a Christian. He's simply saying that a home with a Christian spouse is sanctified because the presence of Christ is there because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in that spouse. That's amazing. That's amazing. Now, real quick, <laughs> there's a difference between a sanctified spouse and a sanctimonious spouse, all right? Like, 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 like there's, a, there's, a, there's a big difference there. Like a sanctified spouse is just a, a, a husband or wife that, that just lets the Lord work in them. The, the, the love of Christ is in them and flows through them. They're not perfect, but they're forgiven and, and, and Christ is present in them. A sanctimonious spouse is where you use religion as an example to show your spouse how terrible they are, how much of a sinner they are, and, and you try to shame them into the kingdom. Just so you know, I've been in ministry, I don't know, what, 24 years or so. I have never seen a person who is shamed by a nagging spouse into the kingdom of God. And some of you have actually taken up a mantle that God never called you to carry. He did not call you to save your spouse. He called you to love your spouse, to be faithful to your spouse, and to just let the love of Jesus shine through you. 
And there's sometimes that we do more damage than good, and we've, we miss the difference between the words sanctified and sanctimonious. Yeah, man, I, I just ran into a, uh, a lady uh, not too long ago. I was, I was at a restaurant uh, over in Ada County, and I hadn't seen, I hadn't seen this person for years. I knew her family. In fact, uh, one of the first conversations that I had as a pastor was with her grandmother. She came in, and just one day she unloaded her, man, what she had been through. And, and man, it, it was a heartbreaking story, heartbreaking story of, of, of man's sin. And, and she had been uh, abused in every way you can think of as a child and, and then as a teenager. And, and uh, then an early marriage, uh, you know, her, her first husband had been abusive to her kids. And just like, it, it was, it was a, a terrible, I mean, I mean, to the point where I just felt heavy, this heaviness. But then she, she said something towards the end. She said, the reason I'm telling you this is not that I want you to feel sorry for me. She said, I want you to pray with me for my family. She said, because Jesus Christ has changed my life. And she said, I'm convinced that he wants to save my family. And I'm like, all right. I'll pray. Like, I mean, I was like a brand new prayer. I didn't know what I was supposed to tell her anyway, which I didn't have anything to tell her. But we started praying. And I still remember the day that she passed away. I was there at the house and we had prayed. I'd prayed with the family and I just, I felt like I needed to share. And I shared what she had said. I shared with them. And uh, before that day, before our time was over, uh, one of her children gave her life to Jesus Christ. And one of her grandchildren gave her life to Jesus Christ and were able, even though she was unconscious, able to, to whisper in her ear, we're gonna see you in heaven someday. Power, it was so, dude, I get goosebumps talking about it. So I see, I see this granddaughter like way after the fact and I run into her, I'm like, what is going on? I haven't seen you. Man, she begins to tell me the story of what God's done in her life. And dude, she, she is not the same person I used to know. Her life's transformed. She, she talks about how it's transformed her kids, what's going on in her family, talking about those lives have been touched. And it, it, it hit me this week as I, was, as I was studying for this message. It is so true. All it takes to make a household, a Christian household, is one person. And there's a legacy that is going to continue and continue because one person didn't say, well, you know what? I'm, out, I'm outnumbered here, I'm out. No, listen, if you have Christ on your side, you're, the odds are always in your favor. There's more with you than be with them. That's good preaching, that's good. That's good, I like that. Okay, so I'm gonna land the plane real quick. So, uh, Last, last three things I want, I want to give you that what he says, if you're, a, if you're a believer married to an unbeliever, he said, pursue peace. What, what, he's, what, he's, telling us, what he's telling us here is, uh, is to pursue peace. If you, if you want to, if, if they consent to live with you, dude, don't find a reason to kick them out. I think there's sometimes that we're actually looking for an excuse to get rid of them. But, but, but he says, but you know, when I think about what Jesus said about this, he, he said, blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't say blessed are the peacekeepers because a lot of times uh, peacekeepers are the people that, that you, on, you honestly, you, you value your comfort more than you value your relationship with Jesus. And so that's not what he's saying there. He's saying intentionally pursuing things that, 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 that make peace. But here's what happens. What, there's gonna come a point at times, potentially, where peace is something, it's gonna be outside your control. Where, what, what do you do when, when, your, when your spouse says, you know what, actually I'm through. And it might be because of unrepentant sin or they're just, they honestly, you know, your ways of life are colliding and they, they walk away. Here's what, here's what Paul says to do. He says in verse 15, if the unbelieving partner separates, 
so. Now, you're like, what, what do you mean, let it, let it be so? He, he means, let them go. And the only way that that's possible is the fourth thing I want you to write down is, you, if, you're, if you're a believing spouse, married to an unbelieving spouse, you have to trust that God is in control, even when you're way outside of control. Control is nothing you can handle. And, and what that means is if they go, it doesn't mean that you call up all your friends and neighbors and you tell them all the gory details, how terrible they were, what a sinner they were, and, and, and man, please, please take our side in this. Well, that's, that's not the way it should be. That's actually wrong. You don't, you don't do that. What you do is you trust God with it. You trust them to God and you trust you and, and the rest of your family to God. Now, is that easy? Like, like me saying this, it, it's easy to say it. It's hard to live it. And, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, this is hard. What do I do then? Well, you trust God to save them. You trust God to provide, to take care of them. And then what you do is this. This is what Paul says in the last part of verse 15. He says, in such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. What does that mean? It means that you don't live as if divorce is ending your life, as if divorce is the, the period on the rest of the story. No, you live in freedom. You live in, in freedom. And it's not a freedom that has, has as its God self, but it's a, it's, it's, it's a life that, that does not live in slavery to anything because we believe that he who the son has made free is free indeed. And this freedom, when he talks about freedom in this, in this, uh, in this context, it's like, what, what are we free from? We can't keep vows to a person who's walked away and then they've remarried or whatever. And it does not mean that your life is over. Now, Paul's gonna go on to say, he's like, man, if you can remain single, remain single. Man, focus on the Lord. But he said, if you can't, marry. I, like there's, there's not this, this huge cloud that, that we live with, that we live with. No, what he's doing ultimately here is he's answering these questions. He's, he's, he's letting them see that, that the faith that we have, it touches every area of our lives. But there is a wrong way to interpret what God wants us to do. And that is to say, huh, I bet God would want me to do this. And to actually go back to what he's given us as his plan for marriage. Now, here's the thing. I stand up here today knowing that a lot of you started this journey at some point and it was the two together and the somewhere along the way, this happened. I know that, and, and there, the reason I know this, I, man, I've had so many conversations people that I love, people in my family, but, but even people here in its own church, you've, you've just tried to wrestle with, man, how do we live now? Well, here's, I, I wanna talk to, because Paul's talking to people that are currently going through things. He's saying, here's how to live. If you haven't lived from this point forward, here's how to live starting today. And so I would say this, if you don't know what you didn't know, start here today. It's that whole thing. You know when's the best time to plant a tree? 20 years ago. Second best time to plant a tree? Today, start today, right? Start, start here. But I also think there's a proactive thing. He's gonna write later in a second letter to the uh, Corinthian church. He's gonna say, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And, he's, and, and there's a context in which we can use that. Though, uh, though he's not, that's not in the context of marriage or, or anything like that. 
Um, he, he's talking about having, you know, whether it be business or whatever, but I think there is a context. If you're dating, listen to me. Be wise about who you date. There's a lot of people like they're missionary, you know, I'm a missionary dater. I'm in a missionary relationship. I'm gonna win them to Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't know. Most of the time I see it go the other way, okay? So I, just don't be unequally yoked. It, it's amazing. If we don't have to go through this, why, why should we set ourselves on a shaky foundation? Now listen, somebody's sitting there by a person that is a believer and you're an unbeliever and you're like, oh crud, we're our relationships in trouble. Today is the day of salvation. Listen, I mean, you can be saved even today. You, but, but in all seriousness, I, I think you need to wrestle with this. But then I would say to, to, to those that are in the past, here's, here's what you gotta do. This might've been a reality at some point. But what you can know is that if you have, have been forgiven, God has been faithful to you. You cannot look back and say that God has been unfaithful to you. He has been faithful. His grace is enough. If you struggle to believe that because of what you did, because of your sin, that he's through with you, it is absolutely not true. The words that we see in 1 Corinthians chapter six, where, where he makes this whole long list of, of people that have been all kinds of sin, and then he says, and such were some of you, but you have been washed, you have been cleansed, you've been set apart, that is true of you. And you need to sink your teeth into the promises of God. Don't let Satan take you back. Don't let him take you back and allow you to live in, in something that you've been forgiven from. The consequences from sin, we experience even today. But I can tell you what, when it comes to the hold of sin, we have freedom through Jesus Christ. Do not call unclean what God has called clean. He set you free, walk in freedom. But then I would say this, today in our own marriages, there, there are people today that, that you might've had one of those intense moments of fellowship on your way to church. <laughs> this message is for you. But in all seriousness, there are some people that because of the intensity of the disagreement that exists within your marriage, the D word has been on the table. Here's all I'm asking you. Take it to the word, take it to God. What is God asking of you? Don't skip this part of the Bible and live, live the rest of your life according to scripture and live out this. Let's submit all of our lives to scripture and see what God does in response. Did you know that God's been through divorce? Do you know that? He has. In fact, it shows up a lot in the prophets. Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter three literally says because of Israel's faithlessness and he calls it adultery, it says, God says, I sent her away with a decree of divorce. But you know what the incredible part is about this? That God knows what divorce is like, but he also knows what reconciliation is like because God didn't end and allow divorce to be the end of the story. In fact, he went about with a plan of reconciliation to the point that when we get to Ephesians chapter five, we see that Christ has a church that he has built. It's God has done this work of redemption and literally we see that Christ is building the church whom he calls his bride. He's cleansing her, sanctifying her so that he can present her to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle. God has been through divorce, but God has also given us a picture of what reconciliation and grace looks like. If you've been divorced, 
God knows where you've been, but God knows where he's going to take you. Let's trust in a God who is greater, even than our darkest seasons and our deepest pains and understand that he is for us. And let's submit ourselves to the word of God. And Father, as we leave here, may we not live our lives according to our feelings, according to our emotions, according to our selfish inclinations, but God, may we carefully submit ourselves to you. May there never be uh, in scripture cause for us to gaslight the other spouse, to manipulate them into accepting sin. That's not what you've called us to. But God, at the same time, may we understand grace when two imperfect people struggle through this. And I pray that you would redeem us and may you bring beauty from ashes, even within our homes and for the good that you're going to do, regardless of our situation, to you be the glory. May you receive glory in our lives. Thank you for the fact that because of Christ, the best is yet to come. We love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. Good to see you. We'll see you next week. You're dismissed.